I think about my work in particular, I follow a creative journey. I really think about my creativity and what I want to be making and what ideas excite me. But I also think about what are the daily moments that are around us? Like, what are we capturing as creatives, right? Like as a writer, you know, we are kind of historians of our time. Like we are dictating what is happening around us all the time. We are the people on the streets that are deciding what's going to be a moment in time, our fingerprint on the world that's going to be left for later. I'm Caitlin Salamini, and this is the Postpartum Production Podcast. Every other week, I talk with artists who are also mothers and caregivers about their postpartum creative process. You can find out more about the podcast at www.postpartumproduction.com, where you can also sign up for our newsletter. Erica Lee Sears is a self-taught oil painter and full-time artist. She makes an original piece of art every single day and shares her journey of this daily making online. We spoke about motherhood, art, and legacy in today's conversation. Given the current political atmosphere and global challenges from climate change to war to gun violence and attacks on women's rights, this conversation with Erica was really helpful for me in reframing the importance of what we are doing and creating as artists in this fractured world. I am really curious about a lot of different things, but first off, the two things that are probably most obvious about your work, but also most interesting at the same time too, are one, that you are self-taught and two, that you have been prolific in motherhood and that you have started this very specific project around the work that you do and the art that you produce in motherhood. So I would love to hear in your words more about that what that even means to be self-taught because (laughs) as an artist, I'm definitely not as steeped in the visual arts world. So yeah, I'm just curious about your journey. So I'm totally self-taught. I'm an oil painter, which is kind of like, it's not common because oil painting is a very, very old discipline. Uh, There's a lot of different ways to do one thing. So I didn't go to art school, any of that. I just kind of learned from books and YouTube and figuring it out and what worked best for me in my practice. So that's what self-taught means to me. To some, it's in a way it worked out better for me because then I figured out what worked for me best instead of someone teaching me their practice. Because like I said, it's super old. There's a lot of different ways to do one thing and everyone has an opinion about it. Like if you join a Facebook group for oil painters, they will argue slash discuss how to clean your brush for like weeks because (laughs) there's so many ways to do it. But yeah. And when did that start? Were you always an artist, like from a very young age? Or when did you consider yourself? Okay, I know that's a tricky question, right? But when did you consider yourself? Okay, I am an artist. I'm a working artist. Like, what did that look like? I think it comes in different phases. Like, when are you able to support yourself as an artist? That happened probably, I want to say about mm, five, six years ago, where I was able to support myself. I've been calling myself an artist for a long time. But where you can make a living and you can pay your mortgage and pay your bills and stuff, that's a different question. And I want to go back to that one question that you asked originally about how I started embarking on my journey. So, well, before I had kids, I did acrylic painting 
but I got into oil painting because someone was talking to me about like, hey, if you want to make it as an artist, you need to get into oil painting. This is how you make a living at it. You know, that's totally not true. 100% not true. But it got me thinking as to why I was so intimidated by this medium. And so I just kind of went for it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I feel like I'm learning something new every day because there's so many different layers to it. There's so much of it. So with that, then I started showing my work and I was working in finance at the time. So I was showing on the weekends and painting and decided to set a goal for myself to save some money and make it a real shot to make a living as an artist. At the time, I was married to my husband and we had a house and all this stuff. And so we just kind of was like, you know, now's the time. If there's any time <laughs> to, to just go for it, just go for it. And then we decided to have kids. And my creativity was just terrible. When you're pregnant, your mind is like somewhere else, <laughs> right? And what my husband said to me when I was pregnant, he's like, Erica, just because you're creative this one way doesn't mean you can't be creative other ways. And so once I let go of that piece, I was able to like kind of tap into the creative juice. We were talking about it before, about how you get this crazy and wild ideas or it goes along with, I think maybe, you know how people say, what do you crave when you're pregnant? You know, the pickles and the mustard on chips. That was my thing, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it's like your creative energy is something that's not matched to anything. Maybe it's the extra hormones. Maybe it's, I feel like you just go for stuff that you wouldn't necessarily go with. So I was pregnant with my son and I was really struggling with just my painting practice and just like showing my work. And I just felt yucky being in my studio. And I was to myself, Erica, either you decide to really go for your artwork that you want to be creating, making like what's inside of you, or you just need to take a break, right? So when my son was six weeks old, I decided to make art every day. So I've been making an original piece of art every single day and sharing my journey online. And it's been over seven years, which wow. is crazy to think about. Wow. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking because <laughs> like it was six weeks. <laughs> I'm impressed. Like most people make a goal. It's sort of start of the new year resolution, right? Yeah. It's almost like uh -huh. you made that resolution. How do you do that? And actually, please tell me because I have lots of ideas that I want to continue to do on a daily basis and fail miserably. How did you do that? I assume there was a lot of creativity and a lot of like need to do that. But at the same time, that's very disciplined. Yeah, well, I'm very not disciplined, very undisciplined, first of all. But I think the big thing is, is as mothers, you don't have a lot of time that's just you, that's just yourself, because you have to be so selfless. You have to nurse, you have to like clean up, you have to do all of these things that were expected of us. And that's not who I am. It's part of who I am, but it's not me, just me. Because mothers have to live a life where it's like, you have to be so giving. And so what I always said was, this was my selfish gift to myself, the gift of creativity. And what is five or 10 minutes a day? Now my work takes a lot longer because I have time dedicated to my craft. Back then it was 3 a.m. when I couldn't go back to sleep after nursing my son. I would be awake and everyone's asleep. And so I would just take 10 minutes and do some, just some sketching and painting and stuff. Like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Or the biggest thing is, is just showing up. And people are always like, well, what if you don't want to do it? Well, there's lots of days I don't want to do stuff or like brush my teeth or whatever, mm -hmm. but I still do it anyway. But I think about now I think about, okay, maybe I need to work on a technique or a style or think more about an idea or kind of go deeper, or maybe the world is going through a tough time. Right now, the world is going through a tough time. And maybe that's something I can talk about in my work, or maybe my kids are having a tough time with something that I can talk about. It doesn't always have to be one thing. 
I always said creativity is my superpower, but oil painting is my vehicle. (laughs) That's really cool. And I'm curious, actually, if there were any specific pieces that you did that felt, for whatever reason, really resonated with you or became something else that you became a little obsessed with. Well, one of my longest series is my citrus series that I paint. I did one early on and it was the only happy moment of my day was slicing an orange because the kids were just so grouchy and they were just screaming, you know, just one of those off days. And I was thinking, I'm like, this is my one moment that I'm just like, okay, this is the moment where it's no one screaming and yelling. And I was slicing up an orange (laughs) and it's turned into my one of my longest running series. I did the cover art for Lana Del Rey's spoken word album and it was oranges. So it's kind of evolved into other things. What was that? Like, why did it clearly resonated with an audience though, too, right? You brought something to it. Maybe there was something joyful that you were bringing to it. Or like, why do you think that that particular series? Well, I'm not sure about that particular series. What I think about my work in particular, I follow my creative journey. I really think about my creativity and what I want to be making and like what ideas excite me. But I also think about what are the daily moments that are around us? Like, what are we capturing as creatives, right? As a writer, you know, we are kind of historians of our time. Like Mm -hmm. we are dictating Mm -hmm. what is happening around us all the time. We are the people on the streets that are deciding what's going to be a moment in time, our fingerprint on the world that's going to be left for later. So I think about that also, even though it's like a really simple, like an orange or maybe traffic or whatever, but that's going to look so different in 50 years or 20 years or however fast it's going, or even writing styles or what you're dictating, or even this podcast of how we're talking, how we're dictating what motherhood is like at this moment. So I think about like, what mark are we making on the world? I mean, it sounds really big, but I think a lot of people think really small when we should think as big as possible, because what is really holding us back? The only people that hold us back are ourselves. Hmm. I love that. You know, you're making me think about, you know, I've thought a lot, even about this podcast. I'm like, what am I doing? What is the point of this? Like I'm spending a lot of time away from my kids. I'm literally investing my own funds to get it off the ground because, you know, you have, there's equipment and there's editing. And I had this moment recently where I thought in astronomy and sort of like space studies. Okay. So we're going in that direction. There's been a lot of talk about extraterrestrial beings. There's the idea that we put out radio waves as a species, right? Like life on earth has only been putting out radio waves for what? Less than a hundred years, technically, but those radio waves can reach other galaxies. Obviously it takes a number of light years to get there. And I was thinking about this podcast and I'm like, how wacky would it be if there's some alien life form that somehow is able to, at whatever moment, to receive this podcast? (laughs) Granted, they wouldn't speak this language, but the idea that like what you're saying, like what we're producing, when you think about the resonance of that, even of just the radio waves or the sound waves able to communicate beyond just earth, right, is kind of mind blowing or that will outlive me as a human, will outlive my children, again, to your art, right? Like ideally, obviously, it's material. So who knows? I don't know what the life cycle of oil paintings are in terms of their integrity, actually. Do you know? Forever. The Mona Lisa is an oil painting. Right. (laughs) Well, forever is relative. I guess I'm thinking thousands, hundreds of thousands. Well, it's it's if it's preserved and all that stuff. But I do a lot of archival work. So to make sure it lasts a really long time. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I mean, even that, yeah, like just the idea of legacies that your work, like you said, I don't often think about how the work I'm producing now would be seen in 100 years, in 500 years. 
if human civilization still exists, if this language is preserved such that could be deciphered down the road. That is a really interesting point that we are living a particular moment and we're also, we're recording that moment for civilization Mm -hmm. as artists, right? Yeah. You're making me feel like this is a lot more relevant. No, it is. And also think about like this. And I also know like the more authentic you are to your craft and what you're producing, what you're making, you touch more people that way you really reach more people that really get what you do. Because I spent a lot of my life, like I'm self-taught. I didn't go to art school. My parents told me, oh, you can do art on the side or, oh, you'll never make a living at that. I mean, like still, it's like really challenging to tell people, oh, this is what I do and I make a living at it. And yeah, I support myself and all that stuff. But people don't really understand creative jobs that much as you know, but I feel the more that you are authentic to yourself and the more that you're touching people and reaching people and the more that you find the people that really get what you do, that's super important. You reach more people that way. Hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit. I'm curious because you said you are able to support yourself. I have to say most writers I know are not able to support themselves for their writing. Most artists, I assume, aren't often either. So what is it that you've been able to do? Like, how has that happened? I'm sure it's actually really similar to writing as to being an artist because or just you have to kind of think of yourself as a creative entrepreneur in a way. So I tried everything. I've taught classes. I've done murals. I've done licensing, royalty, corporate work, like whatever, because I didn't really know how to make money as an artist. Because when you make money as an artist, people are like, oh, you just go to a gallery and they show the work and that's how you make a living. And it's like, that's not true because there's a million different ways to make money. You just have to figure out what works best for you and your craft and what resonates with you and what you like to do. For me, what I really like is I love painting. I love making art. I love doing gallery shows. I love working with like art agents and gallery people. But I also like doing corporate work, licensing, royalty work. Like that's super fun and super like I love working with clients and doing commissions and things like that. How were you able to get into that type of work? Are there particular agents that represent artists? Social media helps (laughs) a lot because social media is free. Number one, it's free. Insta is free. Pinterest is free. TikTok is free. But you just have to figure out the best way to talk about your work and what works for you. And I think people post things on social media and they're like, oh, well, nothing's happening for me. I've been doing it a really long time. And some years I've grown more than other years with the marketing and the business piece of it. But at the end of the day, I've just kind of learned it's like you just have to put yourself out there and find the channels of how to market your work. Marketing sounds like a yucky thing to artists because they're like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to talk about it because it sounds yucky. And it's like, well, talk about what you love to do and find those people that are attracted to what you do. And there's nothing wrong with that. And then you can find some really cool clients, find some really awesome gigs and find the things that light you up inside, you know? Wow. Well, I'm impressed. So you said your son is seven. Yes. You have more than one child. I have two. I have a seven and she's about to turn 10. (laughs) Oh, wow. I can't believe it, to be quite honest. I'm just, oh my gosh, can't believe it. So this project, the working every day started with your second child. Right. Because with my first daughter, like I was still showing my work, but I felt like it was really hard because I was, as you know, postpartum, you are trying to figure out how to take care of yourself. Because after childbirth, you feel like you got hit by a car because you feel so yucky. You have all this extra weight. And it's not about the weight. It's more about you just feel yucky because you still have like all of this extra stuff happening where you just like, I want to just be back to my old self. Like you just want to feel good. You just want to feel good in your skin, you know? 
So with my daughter, I got really into my health and getting better. I joined a mommy workout group and was really healthy. But I realized with my daughter that I had a really tough time with my creativity, like getting back into my studio and just feeling creative again. And I'm like, where does this piece fit into my new life? Where does it fit in? And so that's when I decided when I got pregnant with my son, I'm just, I need to do it. I need to either go for it or let it go and just not have it be as important to me as I know I want it to be. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like it did go in the direction of you fought for it and you made it a center stage in your life in a really meaningful, but also I love the way that you framed that it's not something in a sense, you're not saying it's like taking you away from your children or motherhood because it's also giving you something that gives to them. If that's something that nourishes you, then they're nourished by that and by seeing you get joy out of those moments. And I think it's super important to show a working mother and especially being an entrepreneur and being a boss and being someone that runs her own business. I think it's super important to both kids to raising a boy and a girl, because as you know, it's tough. It's really tough. Yeah, that's a really great point. How have they been with regards to your work? What does it look like to them? Or have there been any moments where they're like, oh, my mom's an artist or what does that mean to them? All the time. They flex all the time. They always say we come from a family of creatives. My husband is not an artist. He's a computer guy, but we say that he's creative in his own job and that you can be creative in any job, which is very, very true. But yeah, we're a family of creatives. <laughs> they love the fact that I'm a working mother and we have a lot of conversations about that because I think it's actually super more important as especially they get older, because even though they might think it's normal for a mom to be a self-employed working boss mom and, you know, just doing her own thing. It's not like that in every family and having a strong, empowered woman isn't always something as part of a family. And I think it's really important to show that to both kids. Are there any moments you can remember, like any specific moments that kids have said something funny or... Do they like, have they gone to your gallery showings? Have they? Oh, they embarrass me all the time. <laughs> I was like on a call with a corporate client and my son's, I love you, loser. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's just like, uh, when my son was like four, we went and visited a friend who's very fancy, big deal artist. Like she has stuff in MoMA and she's a published author and all this stuff. And he just starts talking about his needing to poop and like how he feels about it. And he asked if she did it. And, you know, and she's like, yeah, my mom does that too. You know, and it's like, <laughs> great. <laughs> but I think it's the thing is, is that kids keep you honest. You know what I mean? <laughs> For sure. And they provide me so much inspiration, so much joy. It's not easy. I mean, you know, you have three. Hello. Yeah, I know. I know. But I would be nothing without them because it feel like as soon as I had my kids, like a light went off where it's now or never, now or never. So it really lit a fire under your ass. <laughs> of your, your postpartum. Yeah, I realized time was going by. And I realized when my son was born, I was like, I have five years to figure it out, to figure out if I want to be an artist. I really have five years because then I need to figure out because a lot of the moms that I was friends with at the time were like, oh yeah, we have this much time before kids go off to school and then I have to go back to work. I know I understand not everyone has that luxury and I wanted something different. I like being a working mom, but like a lot of the moms, we have this window of time before we have to go back. And I was, why wait? Why not do something that you really want to be passionate about and something that excites you instead of going to something that isn't going to fulfill you? I don't know if this is the case for you, but I'm curious because you were doing the work daily through your son's early childhood. 
are you able to look back? You must have insane amounts of memories around those works where they're like, are there any particular works that you're like, oh, that was the time that he was this, or that was the time the kids did this, or it must be tied to your daily existence, right? Uh, so what's interesting <laughs> about social media is that a social media holds you very accountable to being active and to being like, this is what I'm working on. This is what I'm mm-hmm. doing. But I also write little stories within that. So I can remind myself of what happened at the time. I mean, my son's wild. I remember he still gets mad at me if I cut his sandwich incorrectly. Oh my gosh, the triangle and not the rectangle. Come on. <laughs> I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the drama. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I just think this is a time like no other. And as your kids grow up, as you know, it's like they grow up and they're more independent and they do different things. And you have these more of these windows of time that we were talking about, this imprint. And like, you're never going to be able to get those memories back. So I don't know. It's our way of being historians. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, you are a historian for the time and also for your own individual life. Like you're leaving that for your children. I would think that that's something that they will then be able to have as a record of their childhoods, whether it's particular moments. And I'm sure that, God, how wild and crazy that then they'll be able to look back and their lens that through which they will see that art would be so different, right? Than the casual observer or someone coming to your work completely extraneous to your family. Well, and think about you, like you and your writing and you're doing this podcast. Think about in 20 years when your kids are like, I really want to hear mom's voice, you know, (laughs) back then or her advice or who she was talking to or who was inspiring her. I mean, it's amazing. Thank you. You're totally blowing my mind a little bit because I'm here sitting like oftentimes thinking like, why am I doing this? What is the point? And you're reminding me that there is a lot of relevance to all the work that we do. And I mean, I think I often also forget there's so much that's happening. You have the loss of abortion rights right now in our particular. That makes me so upset. Oh my God. I don't even know what to do. You have gun control. I mean, there's just so much that's happening politically. You have Ukraine. I mean, there's just so many, like there's a lot happening. I just often feel I have to raise the work that I'm doing on a daily basis. I know is important. The world doesn't necessarily see it as that important. It's its own subject matter. But there's so much that I am doing that's important that sometimes then with all of that, the artwork that I do feels less important, right? Like it doesn't seem to me anyways, whether it literally gets crammed down on a daily basis in terms of the actual time that I have, or I'm looking at things being like, well, but shouldn't I be trying to solve that problem? Shouldn't I be an activist in this way? Shouldn't I be spending my time working with organizations that are fighting this thing or that thing, or obviously there's a lot to work on right now. And yes, and at the same time, what you're reminding me is that as those who are in this position where we have the capability, whether it's because of a certain innate talent we have or a learned talent, like whether it's something that we've taught ourselves or learned elsewhere, and we are artists, we're writers, we're musicians, we're filmmakers, and then like being able to shine a lens on all of these things, right? Like to have that be that critical mirror, if you will, on these moments. I think I often, often forget that's not only what we do, but it is both our responsibility and our gift, right? That we love to do that too. It is a gift. It is 100% a gift. What I think about is there's so many people like us 
there are so many people that aren't, because I'm not the kind of person where I'm just on the raising my hand and like being all up in people's faces. I'm the kind of person like, if something really matters, let's talk about it. Can we have a hug first? And then we'll talk about it. <laughs> let's talk about it from a really nurturing place so that we can actually make a difference and maybe have a real conversation about it. That's kind of me. That's how I deal with conflict and things that I really genuinely want to connect with. I think about it smaller versus bigger rage. There are people really great at that. I'm not a great rager. <laughs> when I get mad about something, when BLM was happening, I rather had one-on-one -on -one conversations with people and really try to have meaningful conversations with people that I knew that it would really matter to because I was so scared to talk about stuff in social media because of just all the rage and all the things that were happening. And so I just kind of realized even the politics, like all the Trump stuff, it's like, I'd rather have like a smaller conversations instead of just blasting. I just can't handle the blast <laughs> either way. I'm just like, oh my God, like what's happening? It's just hard for me. It is overwhelming. One thing a friend of mine reached out recently and she's like, oh my gosh, what do we do about this now? How do we do this? You feel like you have to give so much. And I think maybe that is our position as caregivers, as women often, unfortunately, you know, like there's just this like, and it's a good thing, right? To feel like I want to be involved. I want to give. That is certainly not a bad thing. At the same time, I feel like there are so many people who are in specific positions to help do the thing that you are trained and most equipped to do and do that well and do that with a obvious kind of willfulness to make change and direct change on whatever specific issue is that particular issue, right? But do that through the capability set that you have, through the tools that you have, because I am not a doctor. So clearly I'm not going to be on the front lines during the pandemic, for example, or I'm not a lawmaker. I'm not a politician. So then what do I do that can make a change? Should I be writing about experiences I had in a certain way? I could be, right? Or could I be writing fiction that addresses things that matter to me? Yes. So that's probably where then I should double down versus feeling like I personally get like oftentimes where I'm just like, oh my God, I have to do 5 million. Like it pulls me out of the artwork that I'm doing because... I think about it, how does it affect my artwork and how can I use that to inspire my artwork? Like when COVID happened, I started doing COVID work that kind of had me, and then like I got a bunch of really cool opportunities because I was making COVID art. Like I was on CBS, they interviewed me because they were like, oh, you're making things during the pandemic. And that was really amazing. Can you define to me, what is COVID art to you? What did that mean? What did that look like? You know, it's like when people are talking about COVID in their artwork, like I did like some paintings of toilet paper and like how I felt during how it's making me feel so trapped, right? So I have a tendency to really kind of talk through, I think about it, like how does this affect my work and do I want to talk about it through my work or how I'm feeling? One thing that's cool about making art every day is like I can make something and it's done for the day. And so it's really helped me and given me like a lot of therapy along the way with painting, like how I'm feeling and hopefully connecting with feeling like I'm not alone in this. I think that's a big thread in my work. I always feel like I'm so isolated and alone. And as being a mother, it's like you give birth and you have this baby and then you're like, okay, here you go. Take care of this baby. And you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm responsible for this human being. And you feel so alone, but you realize like there's so many people going on this journey with you. Mm-hmm. So many. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So many before and after and during. I'm curious. So this is really specific. You had mentioned before we started recording about McDonald's. <laughs> I've seen French fries come up a lot in your work. <laughs> Tell me about. Oh my God, that's my crack, dude. French fries <laughs> are my crack. 
So here's the thing is I'm a pretty healthy person. Like I try to make really good choices, but I do love my treats. And so then when I'm particularly really healthy, all I can do is food fantasize. Like all I'm doing is thinking about, oh my gosh, can I just get some French fries and then maybe like McDonald's is next to Dairy Queen and maybe I could get like a little sundae and dip the French fries in the dairy. Like I think about it and then it turns into a thing, but I fantasize a lot. But the thing is, it's all about balance and being responsible, I guess, with your choices. But like, it's what we were talking about before. Like we were talking about like, if my kids can have McDonald's, they can have Oreos, they can have all that stuff. Do they have it every day? No, but it's something that's definitely a part of our life. That's not where it's like, no, you can never have that. That's terrible or whatever. I liked McDonald's when I was a kid. Oh my God, I would flip for that Happy Meal when we were kids. I mean, I was like, I would like beg. I mean, it is interesting in terms of recording culture, right? Like that McDonald's French fry little paper container is something that everyone knows. What's really funny is people are like, oh, you paint McDonald's, you paint Taco Bell, or you paint Doritos or whatever, and Cheetos. And I'm like, well, it's part of our life. If you actually look around your world, like, let me just show you. Like, oh my gosh, what is this? (laughs) Right here. Uh, Like a big bag of Cheetos. Uh, The thing is, it's a life. It's part of our society. It's part of American culture. I've gotten a lot of where people are like, oh my gosh, like, what are you talking about? What are you doing? It's like, it's a part of our life, dude. If you drive down your street, how many McDonald's do you see? How many like Taco Bells do you see? Sometimes isn't about me personally. It's kind of more about like what our society is telling us like as a whole. And sometimes it's about the conversation. It's not necessarily about me. On that note, I'm curious, are there particular artists that have inspired you that you follow? Like, I don't know the visual art world as well. I mean, I know the master painters and the master artists, but like who inspires you? Like, who do you look toward? Well, I'm lucky enough to have a lot of art friends now. I mean, (laughs) Ashley Longshore forever inspires me. She is also a self-taught artist. She is not a mother, but she is definitely goes after that creative journey. She's amazing. I like Lisa Congdon. She's great. Samantha Baker is another great one. August Wren, Gail Kabaker, just to name a few. But yeah, no, shout out. That's fine. We will definitely include them all in our show notes. Yeah, yeah, no. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. That's great. And a lot of women, clearly. Forever. The thing is, is that women are, they're not as prevalent in the art world as men, for sure. And they're not a force. And we're here and we need to be and we have to keep going. But that's been an interesting journey, too. (laughs) As everyone listening to this podcast will likely know and have experienced firsthand, historically, women identifying artists have not been as supported or validated in the art scene. According to the National Endowment for Women in the Arts, as quoted in the National Museum of Women Artists, which I will link to in the show notes, nearly half, 45.8% of visual artists in the United States are women. On average, they earn 74 cents for every dollar made by male artists. To be a full-time working visual artist like Erica is actually a very impressive feat. And you said you write as well, like often that you're writing companion pieces to your art. What does that look like or what does that practice look like to you? Actually, this is a recent thing that I haven't really talked about is I've started working on my morning pages again (laughs) because I feel like 
coming out of COVID, it's been a different experience. It's been really hard because you're kind of in this, I feel frozen where you're just like, when you first get into COVID, when we first got in, everyone was like in lockdown. Everyone's like, what do we do? What's happening? And now that we're coming out, it's what's going to happen or how is the world changing? And oh, the economy and like all of these things that are happening. And you just feel like, oh my gosh. And then I just wrapped up a couple of really big projects and I feel like I just need to get back to my morning pages and feel like I need to listen a little bit and see what I want to say. Writing is super important. I think whatever your creative creativity is like a fountain and it's just like this and it's just a matter of how do you catch it. That's a good point. Catching it is hard. It's harder when you're catching a lot of things. When I'm thinking about early motherhood, right? Like you're holding a lot. Yeah, let it out. Woo, let it out. How do you catch it? I mean, can you catch it in photography, writing, painting, cooking, fitness? Like how do you want to catch it? Oh, question. This is super, not random, but I noticed that you have been doing a little bit of work with NFTs. Please, please teach me a little bit about this through your perspective, because I know, yeah, I, I do not know enough. And I just personally, I'm sure our audience too would love to hear like how artists are engaging with NFTs and what that. It's a really interesting process. It's, you know, a non-fungible token. It's basically digital artwork, but there's a lot more to that. It isn't just a JPEG. You can do like videos, you could do music. The thing is, is what I realized as getting into NFTs, it's very large. Like it's way larger than you think. So I'd recommend doing some research and thinking about what you want to be saying. So like if you're a writer, it's a great way to self-publish and put something out there where people can buy it without going to a publisher or going to like, that's what like a lot of musicians are doing that are able to support themselves. It's just a way of getting out there and having it just be you without you're cutting out some of the process. But at the same time, it's like learning a new process and that you have to do. You're established so you could have get someone to help you, but you don't have to have help if you don't want to. It's just another stream, I think. But it's cool. I'm excited. I did digital work. I worked with like an animator and I have a piece up on Super Rare that's available. NFTs are super fun, super interesting, very creative. There is so much creativity happening there. Yeah, I have not delved into that world enough, but I'm curious. I'm curious and scared at the same time. I'll send you a link of someone that she does digital poetry and um, she's known in the space, but that's what her jam is, is writing. And she's in New York, but I'll um, give you her info. She also thinks about community and how she wants to build community. And you have to kind of think if you want to build community that way, because as you know, us, it's like building your community is amazing. And I love the people that get what I do, but it's like social media is so big. It is so big. And it's like, how do you put your time and make it authentic in the right, in the ways that feel authentic to you and your community? Right. No, that's a really good point too. Yeah. It's a little overwhelming. I feel like speaking of putting stuff out in the world and having it live beyond you, the whole crypto, NFT, blockchain universe is, is another piece that I'm not sure how much I want my legacy going in that direction. It's so tricky. I think it's going to be around a really long time. It's happening, right? So it's like you can either learn it now or learn it later. But it's like so new that it's like they don't know who's going to make it. Who's going to be the Facebook? Who's going to be the Uber? Yeah, no, it's a good point. And I'm sure that for our kids, they'll be speaking in languages that we don't understand, like in the same way that all of this digital technology for our parents and generations before us has been hard to adopt what they will be able to do and what they're versed in that we will not be. It's just well, and just think about how far technology has come as we grew up, you know what I mean? And it's like totally different. And it's like, my son was like, oh, I mean, mom, didn't you have an iPad when you were five or six? <laughs> and it's like, no. <laughs> 
Yeah, my dad was in my day. I had to walk my I had to walk to school way uphill both ways with you know, no uh, in the snow. And, in yeah. the snow. Yeah. My dad would talk about eating soup made of shoes and the the rooms that he shared with his six brothers and sisters and Yep, my mom was the same. But yeah. <laughs> So two questions that I ask at the close of this podcast, you can answer this as succinctly as you can. That doesn't necessarily mean a word, but if you can, that's great. One is what is postpartum? After birth. And then how would you define production? Because that's the name of this podcast, postpartum production. To be productive is just to be, I guess to just be making things every day, to be creative every day. And that doesn't mean like making art every day. That's just kind of taking your kids to the park or baking some cookies, or it's just kind of like really living and not feeling stuck. I think that's what it means to me. I like that. I think that it's interesting. The artists that I've spoken to, I feel like maybe, I don't know why I don't know that writers do this quite as well, perhaps not that I should try to judge it, but I feel like the visual (laughs) artists that I've spoken to have like, and even a choreographer I spoke to as well, like kind of mentioned, like just being able to like sit and live in moments in a way that feels creatively productive, so to speak, but it doesn't necessarily have this direct like A to B connection to the work that they're producing as well, right? I think the discipline is very important. Like, don't get it wrong. Discipline in your craft, that's the one advice if I could give to my younger self, like if I could tell my 20-year-old self some advice, I would be like, get a little discipline around this if you really want to pursue it. But I don't think production and discipline are together. I think productive is leading more of a whole life. Thank you. You're welcome. To be a full-time working woman visual artist and a mother means to be ahead of the trends, to find ways to capture creative inspiration in the fragmented and compressed time between the ongoing act of caregiving. We spoke today about such a variety of unexpected and previously unexplored topics in this episode, like NFTs and what a daily practice is. We also spoke about working all the angles to discover what works. But beyond that, what's sustainable to us as both artists and as humans? Erica is impressive to me, not just for her following and artistic perseverance, but also for her adaptation and dedication to being a full-time working artist and a mother to two young kids. It was a joy also to hear her perspective on legacy, And she got me thinking differently about the creation of this podcast itself, as well as the value it has in the world beyond this moment. I'd been having one of those particular, what is this all for weeks that we often have as creatives and as mothers. Roe versus Wade had been overturned, climate change restrictions had been pulled back in the US. I learned there are 400 million guns in the US alone, which means there are enough guns that each of my children has a gun to their name, if you will a fact that still boils my blood. And so my little literary fiction novel that I'm working on felt pretty irrelevant. But Erica reminded me that as artists of any type, we are the recorders of this moment, that we are providing a lens by which future generations of humans, or who knows, maybe other life forms, are able to understand the lived experience of this day, in this year, in this place. Here's to hoping we all catch the creative momentum that Erica's optimistic perspective offers us. I'm your host, Caitlin Salamini, and this is the Postpartum Production Podcast. If you like what you've heard, 
please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating. This will help us reach more listeners like you who are navigating the joys and pitfalls of artistic and parenting identities. For regular updates, visit our website, postpartumproduction.com, follow us on Instagram at postpartumproductionpodcast, and subscribe to our podcast newsletter on Substack. Thank you for listening, and we are so grateful to have you with us on this journey. Postpartum may feel like forever, and sometimes it may feel very lonely, but you're not alone here.